0: Everything's waiting for you. You just have to believe it's possible. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off the Bench podcast, and here is where your courageous life starts. Hey guys, and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. Hope you've had a great week. Hope you've got a few of your things off the bench. Hope you've really started using this time to think about how, what you can get going and, you know, doing things a little differently. Hope this podcast is inspiring you. And talk about inspiring, today I've got a great guest, Jean Kitson. Some of you will have come to our Girls at Hammers conference a couple of years ago in 2018, and Jean was our guest speaker, and we just... Fell in love with us, so I'm bringing her to the podcast today, and uh, I'll just want to read a little bit about her first. So, Jean's highly revered for her work as a performer and scriptwriter for stage, television, and radio, and has been a regular columnist with a variety of magazines and newspapers. She has appeared in a number of films and is also a regular guest on ABC Radio. Jean is a very experienced and highly sought-after MC, keynote speaker, panellist, debater and facilitator of conventions, conferences and awards nights. She was a founding director of the National Cord Blood Bank, the inaugural chair of the Australian Gynecological Cancer Foundation and a founding ambassador for Ovarian Cancer Australia. Jean is currently an ambassador for several foundations and the patron of Palliative Care Nurses Australia. She's a strong advocate for women's health issues and after being invited to speak about her experiences of menopause at the National Press Club and realising there was a huge need for real information, Jean published her book, You're Still Hot to Me, The Joys of Menopause. Her book, Tongue Lashing, was released in 1998 and in March 2020, Jean released her third book, We Need to Talk About Mum and Dad, A Guide to Parenting Aging Parents. Jean's also a wife, mother... And a daughter to gorgeous parents that we will talk about in this interview. So, welcome, Jean. Thank you, Karen. What a what a lovely introduction. <laughs> Everybody says that. I'm trying to work out if there's a career in that. Yeah,
1: I'm definitely definitely just you know because I couldn't I uh, you've encapsulated it and and yet made it sound important almost it's fabulous <laughs> I don't know how you've done that but it sounded good to me <laughs> I want to meet that person <laughs> oh here she is Ta-da! <laughs> oh God. so how are you today I'm I'm really good I'm I've been I I don't know whether you can hear that we've got a border collie pup he's outside but he's he's um barking at I don't know what. Maybe the chooks we've got. So, <laughs> so I'm I'm going well. I'm feeling lucky to be in New South Wales and not locked down like so many of my friends mm. and family are in Victoria at the moment. So I'm sorry that that's happening to you down there. That is really really challenging and mm. must be distressing for so many people. And yet, so many people um, are also finding it a bit liberating. I suppose not having to go anywhere just stay home (laughs)
0: Mm, I think it's um I think it's sad for the people that are suffering you know mental health issues but at the same time this probably sounds a bit selfish but I'm I actually like that people are not knocking at my door all the time too that's you know getting getting some things done and getting some downtime and actually really enjoying the family so I suppose you've got to look for the silver lining don't you
1: yeah you do have to look for the positives and I'm one of those people who just always and you know and doing something and i get mm. in the car a lot and i find that i've changed that habit of having to go and do something oh, i better get in the car and go there and drive there and i mm. still am able to see my elderly parents they're an hour and a half away so i go to them quite regularly on week um, during the week and um and that's good i can still do that and even in the lockdown i in we had in new south wales i was still able to do that because there was elderly people living next door to my parents in the unit next door in the retirement village, and and um, beautiful Val, she fell and broke a hip and ended up in oh. the hospital, and she no one could visit her, and oh. then she went to rehab and then she died. And during that time, all of you know there were, there was only allowed one designated person to visit. So that sort of that sort of tragic outcome and mm. tragic uh, effect on people's lives. So her husband has had a really hard time and they couldn't have a funeral and
0: Aww. yeah,
1: really, it's been so difficult for so many people on that level. The, we already suffer with sort of not being able to connect as often as we'd like to with, with people, but that, that was really hard. So I really appreciated the fact that I can still see my folks. And nag them.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there, that's right. An hour and a half though, that's a fair distance to drive each. Well, nearly every day, isn't it? Oh,
1: yeah. Yes, but i do, that's when I do all my phone calls. So you would have noticed <laughs> that when we were talking about this, I'd go, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Yep, that's fine, that's good. And then I have to email you and go, well, what did we decide again?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and in between it's Hong Kong, move over
1: you bastard. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope not. <clears throat> I certainly hope not. <laughs> I'm 100% focused on the road. <laughs> I've been driving since I was 12. I, I, you know, pride myself on my driving. I love driving. I find it so relaxing. I just love it.
0: It is, actually. I used to do a lot, you know, drive an hour to work, like a few days a week, and I'd always listen to podcasts, and it was my downtime, you know, where i get new information. But I haven't listened to pod. I shouldn't say that, but I haven't listened to podcasts for months, but, well, as often as I did. But it is a, it is a really good time, isn't it, to yeah. think about things and, yeah.
1: People say they're listening to podcasts while they walk. So yeah. You can, do you walk, Karen? Do you go for walks? You're too busy. No,
0: I, I live out on a farm. We've only we walk up and down the driveway. That's nearly a kilometer each way. So we do oh, <laughs> do that.
1: Yeah, that's a walk. <laughs> but
0: but I, I I walk around the farm. You know, we have to feed all the animals and you know do all that sort of stuff. So no, we don't get out enough. We we dance every morning, every single oh, morning. Do you? I love it. Yeah, we get I up. Think. We, we yes, yeah, so do. We. Well, it's it's so much better than doing the boring exercises. So we dance for about three or four songs every morning, and yeah, that's how we start our day. It's fantastic. What sort of music do you use? Rock and roll. Oh, oh, anything that's got a bit of a beat, you know. Um, we used to, we started with Kokomo, yeah, oh. you know the Beach Which, Boys. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, Way down um,
0: a Kokomo, you
1: know, yeah, yeah, goes. of course, Beach Boys. Course Aruba, you know Mahama, na 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 i think that should be a, i think it should be compulsory compulsory well, to, to sing or to
0: dance yeah dancing oh, no. it's such a it's such a good way you know what it actually starts your day really really well you know you, you you come out into the kitchen in a good mood you're already singing dancing you know and it's just a great way to start your day fantastic
1: brilliant yeah that's hmm. brilliant I've got an, a friend she's uh 75 now and whenever I go to her place we went to college together in Victoria to um a place called Rusden State College, it yeah, was a teacher's Rusden, college. yeah yeah, yeah yep. and that's where in Burwood um no ours was in um Clayton or somewhere oh yeah um, yep. near Monash yep. yeah yep I don't know what you call that suburb I forget mm. what it's called yeah Clayton I think or well, anyway it's right near Monash University not the Burwood yeah. campus and and um so we did dance together i used to do 8 hours of dance a week oh jeez i'm i'm one of the first dance teachers qualified dance teachers in australia there was about 12 of us And we were the first qualified dance teachers, and none of us could dance. And the poor (laughs) woman who'd spent her entire career trying to get dance as a teaching qualification, she tried to get rid of us in our last year because she thought she looked at us and thought, "Oh my God." These are going to be my first graduates who are graduate (laughs) dance teachers and none of them can dance. (laughs) So that's why it's not on your bio. (laughs) No, well, no, no. I I often put teaching. I was also a drama and media teacher, drama, media, dance teacher, and and my first year out was my last year out. So I was never (laughs) a very good teacher. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. Well, you're certainly a, a very good celebrity. You've done a, a lot on the, you know, stage and screen and that sort of stuff. So I'll start by asking you this. You know, so what I think is is really good is that you're. Uh, you know a lot of people say well why do you want to be a celebrity and there's some you know some people who answer with oh just, it's my ego you know I just want to be looked at and everything else but there are others who like to be celebrities because you get this great platform you know and and you can sort of start spreading med- messages from that platform which is which is what you've been doing recently not earl- not in your earlier comedy years so much but lately you know with your two books about menopause and um you know the aging journey so uh, tell us about your life a little bit. Like, how did you end up in the celebrity world?
1: Well, I have to say that when I was growing up, we didn't really have celebrities. I mean, there were people who were famous, but not like now. Everyone is wants to be a celebrity or you've got these cele- celebrities have this enormous status. Whereas when I was growing up, there were famous people, but there were famous they became famous because um, they were really good at what they did and you know mm. or they had they were Hollywood movie stars or something like that. So there was fame that people um, that people had and other people aspired to. Uh, celebrities was sort of a different category. I don't even remember what that sort of that category was. But now celebrities mm-hmm. are anyone with a high profile, really, aren't they? Anyone yeah, who yeah. has who has big followings on social media, or a lot of people want to hear what they have to say, and, yeah. and and um and they can be in any area of work and life. And so I'm I'm just sort of talking about that distinction because growing up, I never wanted to be famous or a celebrity, and. I, mm. I was interested in the arts, but, um, you know, aspiring to be an actor or a writer was sort of just out of the question. The arts didn't figure in my life at all. We, none of my family, we didn't go to theatre or anything like that. And aspiring to be an actor or a writer was like aspiring to be taller or French or something, you know, <laughs> like it was just out of the question. Yeah. It just it was like, huh? And... Um, <laughs> And so I don't even, so I sort of drifted into acting. I suppose as a plug for inspiring teachers, this man came to our high school and I went to um, Rosebud High and back in the day Rosebud High was a really rough school. This is in the um, uh, late 60s. It was a really rough school and it was a surfing school and and, um, when I was there for a whole year we had a four-day week because the teachers went on strike. It was just wild. It was really wild. But when I was in year seven I had this inspiring teacher who you know who came to teach drama and then asked if anyone wanted to write a play and and I thought oh well it's better than maybe doing sewing which I was always bad at and (laughs) so anyway I wrote I I wrote a play and kids performed in it and I performed in it I think I wrote the lead role for myself why wouldn't you if you're writing it and (laughs) anyway (laughs) I realized I really love doing I loved doing things like that. I loved writing and being on stage, but still I never thought of acting as a career. So, and and I never thought of fame or anything. I really sort of fell into, and th- but then eventually I went to a teacher's college because in also in those days, you know, you had to do something that would earn you a living, that get a piece of paper yeah. and that would help you earn a living. And so I, um, looked at my HSC marks which weren't very good but I could get into uh I I went to Monash Uni and I did economics, politics and philosophy and um but I dropped out of that after about six months and then I went to work in a commercial art studio which has got artists in it and photographers and illustrators and it was there when I was a secretary there I realized that you could actually get paid quite good money for doing things in the arts. And I know because mm. I, I had to do their wages. And so so I thought, oh, you know, like maybe the arts can be a job. And that's when I found Rusden and Rus- and I did drama, media and dance and, and, um, and, and then started my acting. I'd always loved comedy when, it, when everyone mm. else was doing sort of serious uh, plays and serious, uh you know tv shows yeah i i just yeah. loved taking the mickey out of things so <laughs> i sort of fell in into comedy but and then then of course um i was doing uh jobs at the last laugh and at um and and met a lot of comedians a lot of fantastic comedians and ended up working uh with let the blood run free which was included Linda Gibson and Um, Pete Rosorn and Brian Nancurvis, Dave Swan, Helen Knight, um, Mark Cutler, and we all did improvise around this hospital drama and we started off just doing, and none of us were in it for fame, or celebrity status, we did it because it was just so much fun (laughs) and the audiences really enjoyed it and we just sort of chuffed along. That was in the mid-'80s and then that sort of grew and we went from an upstairs show to a downstairs show in the the Last Life Theatre restaurant to doing festivals and then you meet other comedians and and then I got a job with the big gig which was... um, a television show that was yeah. in 1989 for till 1991. I think we did five series, and um, and the big gig gave me this sudden fame, which mm. I hadn't even known really existed. That sort of thing. We were getting nearly two million viewers, and yeah. suddenly you're in magazines and in newspapers, <laughs> and people want to know who you are and they want to talk to you, and then getting that was amazing because I didn't realize, um, what fame, fame could do and what it, what it can do is, I mean, at the time when you, when you're famous, you're really busy because you're famous because you're doing stuff. So you can't Mm. really just sit back and go, I'm famous because you (laughs) have to keep doing stuff and you're working really hard and people want to employ you. So you've got all these jobs on the go. And then I got, you know, and I met my husband on the big gig and we had a baby and I'm doing radio and television. I'm writing columns in newspapers and you can't sit back and go, whoa, this fame thing's so great, you know, <laughs> let's go to a restaurant and maybe someone will buy me some champagne. You can't do anything like that. You're just working flat out because yeah. suddenly going from a lifetime of just scrabbling around and doing only doing jobs that you create yourself in the arts like festivals or, you know, our, small, our group doing Let the Blood Run Free and trying to create a momentum. and mm. But it's suddenly you're being inundated with offers for work. And so then you make hay while the sun shines, so you work like mad. But mm. as you said in the beginning, the thing about um, that which I hadn't realized is that then people want you to um, help them with their causes. And mm. I hadn't really had any experience of that. And my first experience was rather, um, it was awful really, because Linda Gibson who is a fantastic comedian and we shared a house. and. She got, she got became unwell, and we didn't know what was going on. And eventually, what happened? It turned out she had ovarian cancer. Mm. So then, she and another woman, Karen Livingston, whose mum had died of, of ovarian cancer, they formed a group, a, an organisation called Ovca, Ovarian Cancer Organisation, and they had their first fundraiser, and and I was asked to be their MC and an ambassador. So that was in like 2000. So we're talking nearly 20 years ago. Well, we are talking 20 years ago
0: now.
1: So it was around 2000, 2001. And sadly, um, uh, Linda died of ovarian cancer. But then I became, then Ovarian Cancer Australia became, I mean, OVCA became Ovarian Cancer Australia. And then I was an ambassador for them. And then um, I got approached by uh people in sydney because i'd moved to sydney in that time and approached by a professor who said look it's not only ovarian cancer there are eight different gynecological cancers that women can get and none of them are getting the funding they need none of them getting any sort of money like breast cancer does and we've seen Mm -hmm. the great inroads of breast cancer and and i want to set up an organization so then I, and we want you to you know help us. and I and I was a chair, but uh, we set up this organization. Um, but for and, and then in the meantime, my mom has macular disease, and oh. someone found out that my mom had macular the Macular disease Foundation found out my mom had macular disease, so then they asked me to be their their ambassador. Yeah. And then there was, um, and then in the meantime, a neighbour came down, and she was starting this wonderful organisation called Raise, which is youth mentoring, and asked me to be their ambassador.
0: Yeah.
1: And then there's Youth Homelessness Childer Monday, which is um, a Sydney-based youth homelessness and crisis uh, centre, and they asked me to be their ambassador. And suddenly, into your life comes this amazing, these amazing people. Who are mm. doing incredible things for the community and making a huge difference, yeah. and I could do something that um, to help them. Not much. All I do is that I do their, I'll MC their fundraisers and I'll, I'll, I'll do interviews for them or I'll, you know, mm. and yeah. and you know, and now I'm supposed to be social media media, you know, putting it on social media, but yeah, I'm a yeah. bit, I'm a little bit <laughs> slow on that, so. When if I look back on on fame, I think, you know, I it wasn't an as no one I never thought about aspiring to it. If I had, I think now that I'm not a celebrity, because I'm not a celebrity anymore, no matter what you say, Karen. (laughs) (laughs) I don't I'm I'm boss. (laughs) Well, you're the boss. For now I will be. But Now the jobs I do are, are people who um, – what you have to do is you have to sort of continue your work and continue doing what you're doing while and, and hopefully um, create something, you know, and, ho- and, and if it turns into, you know, something you're renowned for, well, all and good, but it might just turn into something you do really quietly and nobody mm-hmm. knows about it. That doesn't matter. And when I get employed, like for your wonderful conference, um, hmm. I don't think I, you didn't get me because I was a celebrity. Surely you got me because you knew I would be a good keynote speaker, <laughs> whoever I was. And I'm sure <laughs> there were people there who would never have a clue, you know, what I'd done in the past and things. That's how I think now that, you know, like.
0: We got you because we knew you would uh, be able to, you know, control that stage and, you know, command it and and really make our women feel great about themselves and laugh and, you know, have a great time, So, and which you delivered perfectly, so good choice.
1: (laughs) Well, you got me talking about my favourite topic, didn't you, menopause? Yeah, 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 we did, yep. Yeah. Well, you
0: just talked about it whether we wanted you to or not.
1: Well, that's right. (laughs) I think that's probably the truth of the matter. I just (laughs) talk about whatever I want now. (laughs) <laughs> no that's not true i could follow a brief but, but yeah so in terms of i just worry about young people you know that yeah. who want to be famous or want to be celebrities but there's it can be very superficial and there can be nothing supporting them if they mm. if their celebrity status goes suddenly they're not popular anymore or they don't get or everything what what happens to them psychologically i really Mm. worry about that people who rely on on celebrity or fame and not Mm. actually focus on the work they're doing regardless of the celebrity and fame are Mm. really going to be vulnerable they're going to make themselves very vulnerable and they're always going to be chasing something that is really unattainable in the end and it's Mm. fleeting Fame and celebrity status is totally fleeting and the ones that have it for a long time work incredibly hard, you know, and they're they're famous for the work they do, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, you've certainly, you, you have, I mean, whether you want to call yourself a celebrity or not, you know, you've certainly had a really big impact in that field in the past, you know, and what, what I see is wonderful is that you're carrying that through um, with your books and everything. And, and I think it's because I actually do think that your celebrity status, whether you say it's from the past or whatever, it still is elevating um, your message, do you know, and I think that's a, a really good thing. if That's, that's using it for good you know i think that's wonderful
1: oh of course of course there if i can uh, if i can help people with their with whatever message important message they have i love doing that and i will Mm. and i'll always and i'll always do that because um because i realize uh you know i realize it's a crowded place out there so Mm. of course i i would still have some um some leverage with my name I suppose I've been a look you know I've been around a long time (laughs) Mm. I've been I've been now doing this um for well since the you know the mid 80s I think I started Mm. so it's so you know you've been around for a long time and there are people who know that what you say is going to have have some point to it Mm. and know what you say is going to be the truth and hopefully they will know that it's not self-serving; it's mm. actually to help others, which is yeah. has um, given me the most reward and the most um, mm. uh, you know pleasure in life.
0: Yeah, and I think it's great. You know, it's it's um, to amplify messages. You know, we and it's you know we we need every. You you're right. It's so noisy. So we need every uh, voice that can be amplified. You know, can be leveraged. Um, through all that noise but one in particular you know your, your menopause book like that's you know i remember reading um a bit about what what you thought about this is that you were you know you realized that this i think it was 1.5 billion or something women at any one time you know in australia just in australia uh, have got um are going through menopause and yet it's discussed. Hardly ever, you know, and it's played down and it's it's almost made a taboo subject, you know, and so you've sort of uh, thrown this book out there, you know, looking absolutely glorious and stunning on the front cover. Um,
1: <laughs> That's how I like... hang around at home, <laughs> <laughs> in a red ball gown with a fan and lying on the veranda. Hey, uh, Patrick, me. get me a drink. <laughs> <laughs> Peel me a drink. <laughs> um, <laughs> every woman in the world goes through menopause and it's not talked about and when I hit menopause I was on stage I was addressing like all these tech heads, and they were mainly young guys in their 30s and I'm up on stage I'm in full flight I'm wearing this silk blouse and I start feeling perspiration on my forehead and I start wiping my forehead and then I'm feeling it's running down my neck and then I'm feeling am I sick have I got a fever and I'm thinking god it's hot is anyone hot in here you know like the classic I'm going is anyone hot in here not even realizing and then I looked down I had this sort of gold silk blouse on and it was like camouflage there was great wet patches under my breasts and down my side and on my front and under my arms and i nearly died. I went home and I thought, what's happening to me? (laughs) And of course it was menopause. And I asked friends and, you know, and I'm asking everybody, what what do you do about it? And people are going, oh, well, there's crystals and rosy-poil. And I'm going, oh, come (laughs) on, save me. And for God's sake, don't go on HRT because that'll just kill you. You'll get breast (laughs) cancer or whatever and you'll just die if you take... Um, HRT don't do that and I just couldn't find the truth and then and mm-hmm. um and I couldn't control it and I was asking and people didn't want to talk about it so I started talking about it and I started talking about it just openly and on the radio and or not as a topic I just hmm. bring it up I go I'm sorry I'm a bit hot I'm menopause or I don't know what the <laughs> frig is going on but could you ask me that question again and you know <laughs> like and then I got rung by the Canberra Times and they said oh we hear you're talking about menopause and I said oh well I'm going through my menopause if that's what you mean and they said well you know, no women on television would ever talk about going through menopause. So, this is in mm. like 2011 or 12, something.
0: Yeah.
1: And I said, Oh, don't they? And they said, No, no no um women you know celebrities um would talk about going through menopause because they fear that it ages them that they will be sidelined that they would be past their use by date that they won't be attractive anymore that um and and this can be true because you know television producers have been known to say we don't care how old she is as long as she doesn't look it you know like Mm. for older women so so anyway, I, I talked to this woman for about an hour and a half and then there was a, a piece on me and menopause which was about, you know, like, I don't know, I was going to say two inches but I forget what that is. It's centimetres, <laughs> like three centimetres long. It was only a short article. But the National Press Club read it and they said, do you want to come and talk to the National Press Club about menopause? And I went, oh, okay, <laughs> Sure so i was like terrified as you can imagine and so i just wrote a speech about menopause and and talked about it without really knowing anything about it so i talked about menopause and then pan Macmillan, um ingrid olson from pan Macmillan, got in touch with me and she said do you want to write a book about menopause so that's how the book came about i'd been talking about it. and then once i started researching menopause i just saw how many women are controlled and fettered and and just and and struggle with menopause and have no help and no support mm. and think they're going mad and are given conflicting ideas and are terrified into not taking the treatment they actually need. Mm. So when you speak to all the experts out of all the women that go through menopause, about a third are going to have serious symptoms that impact their lives that have a mm. d- huge effect on their their relationships and their work because you know your hormones are very powerful and if you're one mm. of that third of women who have serious symptoms where you, you know you do feel you can you. Um, you know like you you don't sleep for a start so you get sleep deprivation you can't it's very difficult to go out because you get hot flushes and for some women hot flushes include suddenly going into like a fountain of sweat and then passing out people get nausea and and women you know high up CEOs and that have said oh yeah you know they would get flustered and being flustered Mm. as a CEO is not a good look and they were all too even in the boardroom they were too scared to say can someone open a freaking window in here (laughs) I'm gonna a hot flush you know like yeah yeah. so you know I um so there was so much fear about it and taboo Mm. and when When I started talking about it, a woman in my local supermarket said, I hear, you know, you shouldn't be talking about these sort of things. It's private women's business. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah, and
1: she hissed at me and I thought, gee, (laughs) I need to talk about this a lot more. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. And so it's,
0: I know what you're saying because I uh, started off with the hot flushes, but then it got to this, like, volcano, you know, erupting inside me and I... I just, uh, you can't even think, you can't, you can't think, you can't, like, what was I doing, you know, and you can't even listen to people, you're just like, you're you're just trying to survive, just for, you know, two minutes or whatever, however long it
1: takes. Exactly, and then people, you know, would sneer if you're in an office. You know, like um, one of the women I interviewed, she said one of the young, she was a high up in in bureaucracy, she's high up and she said one of the younger women came to her and said, you know what's problem? the problem with this department is full of menopausal old bags And oh. and this woman looked at her and said, I'm menopausal and she went, oh, oh, I didn't mean you. But there's terrible Mm. um, prejudices and there can be ridicule. So we have to talk about it. So it's not like because in the old days people used to go, oh, roll their eyes and go, oh, what do you expect from that woman? She's on the rags, you know, and we all scuttled around and hid the fact that we had periods and periods Mm. were seen as embarrassing and shameful and we'd be sneered at for all sorts of things that made us feel incredibly self-conscious and Mm. and and humiliated we'd be humiliated for being wi- women and this is what was happening with menopause and i just couldn't understand it and and i just didn't understand why it happened so i asked my mum and this is in, in my book i said to mum did you go through menopause and she goes oh my god it was the worst five years of my life <laughs> and i said first of all i go five years and then i thought this is a woman Who's been through the Depression and World War II and menopause was the worst five years <laughs> of my life? I go, oh, this is the. I said, well, you know, Mum, you used to tell me about how horrific childbirth was and, you know, all the, every single minutiae of all the horrible things that have ever happened to you, you know, in, with childbirth. Why didn't you ever mention menopause? And she said, oh, we just didn't. Like, no one mentioned menopause. And then I realized that up until the 1930s, like late 1930s and and you know women if they if they got menopause symptoms if they got a little feisty if they got a little bit argumentative if they gave their kids a burnt chop then they could be diagnosed with climactic insanity sanity, yeah. and they could be locked up. Wow. And there were a lot of women who were locked up. And then for the hot flushes, they'd have cold baths. For the, A lot of women get oh. flooding, bleeding, flooding, and they yeah. would get radioactive rods inserted in their vaginas. Oh. They would be um, given their heads shaved. They would be um, given huge doses of opium, which they'd, they certainly deserved by then but you know they were just treated like they were mad so people no wonder women became very quiet about menopause yeah and mum worked for doctors in the 60s and I said but mum when you're going through menopause you we were actually this was the sexual revolution this was the 60s and Mm. you worked for doctors and she said oh they wouldn't have cared they would have considered it as women's problems and Mm. you know and then my dad said women's problems and men's problems, which is absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) But it's incredible to think there's still this resistance. You know, we'll put our kids on, well, I put my kids on, on, you know, the pill and things like that for Mm. their skin, of course, not for contraception. But um (laughs) (laughs) when they're teenagers. But, you know, and without a qualm. But when it comes to women getting the treatment, they need to control their menopause. Mm -hmm. Um, it has all these stigmas about it. So, you know, and the fact that I think women have to hide it makes it more difficult. But if you can just say when you're getting these volcanic sort of um, flushes that cause you to be... You know, like just to have to deal with it, which is mm-hmm. what a lot of women have said. you can just say, "Hang on a second, I'm just having a you know a moment, mm-hmm. just having a hot flush, or just you know like," and you can say it, and everyone just waits, and then it passes, and then you carry on, then they'll understand. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I've become very good at saying that. I actually, when I do a lot of workshops, you know, sure enough, I'll get a big hot flush. And I've just sort of make a joke. Now, it's probably getting a bit old. But I always say, how come when men reach middle age, they get a bright red Porsche and all we get is a bright red face? You know, (laughs) it's it's
1: probably getting a bit old, but I I don't. That's right. No, it's a good one it's exactly (laughs) right they do they get that's what I said when men of a certain age get feisty and argumentative they get elected to parliament we get locked up (laughs) you know it's it's true true, both of them I know I know so yeah we've got to we've got to change we've got to change all this for our daughters so that they're not afraid and they and when they feel things are going on. And, you know, after I did the National Press Club, the first job I did was for men. It was for like 600 men. They wanted oh. to know about menopause. They want wow. to know. Mind you, they were in the health insurance industry, but I think, I think <laughs> they were afraid women were suddenly going to go take time off work, but... You know, like, I don't, no, no, but the bottom line is that I find that most most men really want to know what's going on and they want to be supportive and they want to understand mm. and they want to understand too. So, you know, like, there's no reason to hide it anymore.
0: No, I think it's good to have that conversation, particularly in, you know, marriages or relationships, you know, um, heterosexual relationships, because if, if they're, the woman starts to suddenly have all these, you know, moods and tempers, and you know, uncomfortable, you know, and everything else. It's it's a lot of the if it's not spoken about, the man's like, "What the hell just happened?" You know, I don't I don't understand what's going on. And and I'm not saying that they shouldn't learn about it, but I'm just saying if it comes out of the blue, it's like I don't know what I've done, I don't know what to do, you know, that sort of stuff. So if it's if it's have conversation around it, you know, it can um yeah, I guess it can actually save relationships.
1: Really? Oh, yeah, I think so, a lot. Because then the women have to, we, we women have to articulate what's going on for us yep. and we go, yep. I don't know why, I'm just sort of feeling overwhelmed or, you know, I just, you know. And, and when you understand hormones, you realise just how um, how they can, which goes against a lot of what a lot of feminists want, it's, want to actually talk about and that is uh, our hormones do affect us, do make us different mm. too. We are, we we do, uh, we have a biological difference that is very, um, that is, uh, you know, that there's no such thing as gender equality, you know, Mm. in that way, because uh, the genders are different in that way. And now, you know, like there's many genders, but Mm. yeah. But one, um, friends of mine who um, are uh, gay, they said, can you actually get can your menopause synchronize? You know how women always talk about yeah, the, yeah,
0: yeah, their periods
1: yeah. synchronizing. <laughs> so um, I went into that, but apparently not. Apparently, women's men periods don't synchronize either. We just think it does, but anyway. I <laughs> we do. We just know. will it. Will it? To we happen. will it. To, so every So someone somewhere in the house has a tampon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of um, you know, aging and because. Uh, You know, you only get very few people, very few women get menopause young. You know, it's mostly in your 50s, that kind of thing. But um, as we sort of hit it, you know, you you talked about this at our conference too. It starts to affect your your confidence as well, but it, it also starts to... I think really uh, bring it to your attention that you are aging, you know, and you start to, this happened for me, it started making me realize that I'm getting older, you know, and, and then I started focusing on aging and no, I don't want to go into a nursing home and what's going to happen and oh my God, it's all downhill from here, you know, and you you, you start getting all these thoughts in your in your head and it's not a very comfortable place to be and it takes a lot of energy to come back from that you know every every time you're thinking it but you've gone a step further and um talked about uh, we well, talked about with your mum and dad you know going into a nursing home which they're not yet but uh, you you know that thought is always worrying for people um I'm worried about it for my mum and dad and you you it's kind of the same thing isn't it that that it's it's a bit of taboo talking about it or you don't want to you don't want to bring it up and talk to them about their end of life and and how they want it to be and because you you, you're scared you're going to offend them you're scared you're going to worry them about their age and so you're you've written the next book called we need to talk about mum and dad you know a guide to parenting aging parents What, what what made you do that because I think it's wonderful like it's so needed both of your
1: books are so needed Well, actually, it was when I was um, travelling around talking about menopause and I was meeting a lot of women who were just like me. So we're still working full-time. We've got kids still at home. We're Mm. a certain age. We're going through menopause. And we've also got elderly parents we're really worried about. Mm. And it wasn't the elderly parents who kept us awake at night um no I mean it wasn't the hot flushes that kept us awake at night or the HSC it was the elderly parents that kept everyone awake at night because I thought it was just me I thought I was just overly worried and then I realized that so many people were in the same boat so then my publisher said to me in about 2015 she said do you want to write another book and um and I said yeah well actually I'd like to write one about um aging you know and 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 she said oh no 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 she said our books on aging don't sell and I said oh well it's actually not about us aging it's about our parents aging and she said oh oh okay I'll go and check so nowadays in publishing you have to go and check with distributors and make sure that bookshops want to actually stock a book like that and everyone said yes so that was in 2016 I think I started writing this book and I've sort of been living this book so not not only did my poor family have to go through me going <laughs> through menopause and then going through it again while I wrote the book but then now my poor family have to go through me discussing all the things in aging. For four years I've been making more. I go, oh, we have to do an advanced directive, an age you know, an end of life care plan. Come on everyone sit down at the table and say, <laughs> so what do you want to happen, you know, at the end of your life? And you know, my poor Patrick, as you who you mentioned before, my poor husband. Having to go through over and over all these, you know, <laughs> terrible things that can happen and what we need to avoid, and you know, but at the same time, um, because I'm still, my parents are both still alive, I don't, I don't feel um, so old. Uh, I don't yeah. feel. I'm not a. I sort of get aging, and I get that uh, I'm getting older. But compared to mum and dad, boy, yeah, I'm young. Yeah. I am. Yeah. I'm 65 now, and I feel still feel quite useful because mum's yeah. 95. She'll be 96. My dad's her toy boy. He's 93. But, um, <laughs> so yeah, I I uh I realise. There was so much pain and so much grief and people mm. felt so much guilt and regret. So I started interviewing people for my book and people who has whose parents had died ten years ago would just burst into tears and oh. say, Well, you never felt like we did the right thing for our parents at the end of at the end of their lives and they mm. were still had enormous guilt and regret and I and I thought, why is this? Why have we become so disconnected from aging? I know we've got this whole youthful, you know, you know we're focused on being young and trying to yeah. stay young and maintain young and and that's disconnected us from the reality of aging and we sort of hide our age people we mm. put them with each other instead of with us and so we put them in retirement villages where we don't have to see them and you'll hardly ever see really elderly people because it's very confronting very confronting Mm. to a lot of people and we don't call death any death anymore we call it passing or moving Mm. forward or some other euphemism so everything around aging seemed to be fraught and it seemed to it wasn't natural we'd medicalized our aging as well and and we didn't we'd sort of lost how to How can we do it while they stay? How can we keep them connected with our families and our communities? They weren't. So so I started writing this book and every time I tried to help mum and dad, by the time I found out what they needed and who could supply the support or where I could get the support, they'd moved on to the next stage. You know, navigating aged care was a freaking nightmare Mm. and going on these these websites to try and find where you had to find things and calling link and trying to organise that was, would just do your head in. So um, I just wanted to work out why it was so hard and why we didn't know. So this is like in my book everything that I can possibly think of that you need to know, and I haven't given all the answers because my first draft was like 150,000 words and my publisher just went, uh, no. (laughs) Cut it down. So... (laughs) I've given I've put everything you need to know and where to find find it like you instead of giving all the answers to how to do a goodwill and that you know how to make the and powers of attorney and and the difference between I've given the difference between enduring powers of attorney and enduring guardianships and powers of attorney and and what and everything you need to look out for and mainly advice like get a good solicitor who knows how to do that and get and make sure your elderly loved ones have solicitors for themselves and they aren't your solicitor that sort of thing mm. so they're in so that sort of advice and when to ring Centrelink before 10 in the morning and when and when you ring them get a reference number because you'll have to ring about 50 times and if you don't have a reference and a reference number will give the next person you you talk to an idea of where to find your conversation thread and what you were up to and you know so there's some really great great advice that will just take a lot of the pain out and in terms of nursing homes like we're terrified of nursing homes and now with COVID and we can see the nursing homes that just are not doing the right thing and haven't done it, like, you know, this this has been going on for a long time. The Royal Commission came into effect because finally after Oakden in South Australia, which was that awful nursing home Mm. where all the the cruelty and neglect was, finally we got a... Uh, Royal Commission but up until then there's been four reviews over the last 12 years and they all say the same thing and none of them have been acted on. So, you know, the ratio between nurses and patients was removed in 1997 or something like that and that's a disaster and how, you know, there's so many things that, um, that should be improved but once again, our elderly are seen as a burden. They're talked Mm. about as a burden. The aging population is talked about by purse-lipped politicians as a burden. Mm. So, you know, like this attitude is horrible and it's a shame on us all, it's shameful. But in my book, I've got, you know, I talk to people and when I was researching, Every website of a nursing home would go, there are five important questions you need to ask a nursing home before you sign up. And these are blah, blah, blah. And then I talked to people and they go, no, there's 200 questions you need Mm. to ask. And I said, I don't want to buy the place. I just want a bed. And they they sent me the questions and I looked at them and I thought, yeah, I would want to know the answers to all of these questions. And if you go to a nursing home and the general manager or whoever the senior person is that you you talk to about getting a bed for your loved one if they can't answer these questions quickly and easily then they get a big red cross yeah because you would want these two and they're about a lot of them are about bacteria control this is before covid because i you know i deliver my book came out march the 10th but i delivered it in january so you know bacteria control it's also um, about palliative care because most people who go into nursing homes now are at the end of their lives and they need yeah. really specialised care. It's also discussing things like, you know, nurses in aged care really are paid less than nurses in hospitals, even mm. though people in aged care have really complex needs and, and their skills often have to be a lot higher, but they haven't got the credibility because the pay rate is lower. And, you know, all these sort of things that we need to fix up about our aged care and nursing homes. But having said that, there are really good nursing homes that are doing the right thing. We call mm-hmm. them residential aged care now. But yeah. they're, they're, there's really good ones. And when you find, when you do your homework and, you know, you take all the steps of getting your loved one in, they they can often be. Someone was talking to me the other day. Their mother, where, where they put them into a, you know, a very expensive nursing home, and it's got all the chrome fittings and the water features and the free Wi-Fi for the grandkids. But the care was not good. You can and they their mother ended up going to a place that didn't have all these features, and but the care was exceptional, mm. and she ended up sharing a room which she loved because she yeah. had company yeah. and everyone looks after each other. And the other people had visitors who would visit them too. So you're not alone. And mm. so we have, we have um, some preconceptions about what is the right sort of nursing home and what will be the right sort. But, you know, if you just go through the steps and you figure out what people and you listen to your elders and you find out what their fears are And what their hopes are, and what they want. If you really listen to them, and always put them at the centre of conversations, Mm -hmm. you can really work out what what the best thing is to help them to lead the life they want in the best possible way.
0: It's a it's a it's real. It's like a minefield, isn't it? It's massive and it's scary, you know. Because I remember. Speaking at a at a I don't know a I'll call it a conference it wasn't wasn't that many people but um doing a thing on disability and anyway and then I sat down and I was listening to the other speakers and then somebody got up and started talking about age care and started talking about some of the abuse in aged care and and some of the you know how um the older people are not given their wishes and that really impacted me that was the first time in my life I really stopped and thought oh my god that aging is scary, like when they're they're really old and starting to worry that they can't look after themselves. What a scary time, and I hadn't given it that thought. I remember going back to my parents and I was saying, you two are never going in a nursing home mum said good <laughs> where are we going yeah. said, well you're coming to my house I don't care what you do you're not going in a bloody nursing home I'm not having people treat you like that you know but it was the first time I really uh took a stand and actually took it on board you know and really started to think about it but I've had this dream also for a long time and I don't think I'll ever do it you know I shouldn't be saying this because of me doing get off the bench but um it's I've always wanted to if I had millions of dollars, I guess buy you know several hundred acres and build a an aged care facility on it, but with like little yards so that the people can bring their their dogs and their cats and their birds and their horses and their sheep and cows, you know, all yeah. of their pets, and they could all be on this great big pop- property, you know. And because one thing that is it horrifies me is that how many. Older people leave their have to leave their pets that they adore. You know, it's their their main main form of company. And the and the kids and I'm not saying that all kids are like this because we wouldn't do this to my parents, but the, it has happened because I know someone I know very close has got a dog of someone. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But the kids get the dogs and they either give them away or they get them put down or do
1: you know what yeah, I mean? it's or, terrible. It's got it. That's heartbreaking, heart. isn't it? Yeah, yes. it is. Well, that's a great dream. You know, there's um. some there's models for great age care. There's, there's what, something called the greenhouse model, which yes. it has which means that all rooms have access to outside, to a yard, right. to ground, yeah. where you can either. Have your have your pet, or you can garden, but you can, or you can just put your feet on Mother Earth, you know. Mm. And this greenhouse model is they're small, they're small um, uh, homes, often like a group home, you know, and they and. And you you're allowed to make your own cup of tea if you want to, or someone can make you a meal if you can't do that. So they have things like a cook and a nurse and, mm-hmm. and things like that. But there might be but it feels like a home and there's not too many of you. And oh, people come cool. and go. And these this model of care, but we institutionalise our elders at the end of their lives after yeah. everything they've contributed to yeah. our community, you know, all their all their thoughts and deeds and their taxes, everything mm. that we then institutionalize them so that it's easier and cheaper, mainly cheaper mm. to deal with them at the end of their lives. And, and it's, I would love you to do that, Karen. Can I book in? I would, oh. <laughs> you're, you know, like get off the bench, love, no, come get, on, yeah, start building. Yeah, off the bench. Yeah, <laughs> build one for your folks. I build a granny flat for my folks. And I built it downstairs and people were saying to me, Gene, there's about 14 stairs going. I said, that's all right. My parents are very nimble. Well, within a, within about two years of me finishing it, they were both on frames and couldn't get up one stair, let alone 14. And they came and looked at it because I thought they would just love it. They'd be downstairs. They'd be part of the family. And they looked at it and go, very nice. No, no, we'll just stay where we are. <laughs> Ah, oh, that's fantastic. So I've got a granny flat. You can live in my granny flat. I love it. I'll be older before you will be older. All right, I'll
0: come and live in your granny flat and I'll take care of you. That's
1: yeah, yeah, well, that's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, there are people doing that now in the cities. There are people who... Uh, buying uh, like an old block of floor flats yeah. or something, four flats, and putting um, apartments—I should say—they're not called flats anymore. Put four apartments and putting uh, like a uh, a nurse or a someone who can do cooking, cleaning, you know, maybe a couple and maybe light nursing duties in one, and then and then they are and then three friends in the other, you know, in the mm. other three or whatever, and they have help when they need it. So everyone you know, more the the generation, my parents' generation are from the war and the depression and and they don't ask for much. They hardly go to the doctor. Like, you know, like my my parents would never go to the doctor just for a checkup. They have to have Mm. it like an arrow through one leg and a boa constrictor (laughs) around the other before they would go to the doctor. So they're Mm. a generation that have really sort of accepted what's going on, but I don't think mm. um, my generation will accept any of that.
0: No, no, I don't think so either. It's I think hopefully we'll have better models, you know, in the next next fifteen years, twenty years. But yeah, who would know? I? I remember I used to sing in a nursing home, and um, you know, it, it I, I just used to do it, and everyone was having fun, and it was great. And I remember one day just looking at these people and thinking, oh my god some time ago you know like through your adult life you were powerful dynamic you know you held down a job you you managed a home and a family and 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 now look, you know, like it's all, like that's all my all been stripped away, and you're just sitting here, waiting for the next person to come along and hoping they'll be kind. You know, I said that to you on the on your Instagram post. You know, think it just it is just a hope. Will the next person be kind to me? Do you And I actually I went away that day, think, and I was in tears, just thinking, oh my God, you know, that's that's so sad. And I used to sing, you know, and poor old um John Farnham's dad was in this one that he used to used to sing it and I used to think here he could have Johnny any day and he's got to now sit here and put up with my voice. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yes, he'd be going, not as good as my son, I'm afraid. (laughs) Ah, yes, got a way to go. Thanks, Jean, you're not meant to say that. Oh, aren't I? Oh, no, no, sorry, sorry. (laughs) He'd be going, I've got to tell my son about (laughs) (laughs) this. This woman's freaking amazing. (laughs) I love this. I'm so <laughs> sick of John. <laughs> yeah, that's not.
0: <all> right. <laughs> oh shit! So you've got your two daughters. Um, yeah, beautiful daughters, Victoria and Charlie. Now, are they um. How do they feel about you constantly banging on about all the old stuff? I mean, they're quite young at the start, you know, just started their adulthood and then you've sort of inundated them with, you know, we're getting we're getting old, we've got to work out this old stuff, you've got to be involved, let's make plans. Are they sort of saying to you, Mum, God, we're only in our 20s or are they really keen to be part of this?
1: I sort of haven't asked them about their end-of-life care plans but I've told them about mine but um, they, you know, like uh, – they're amazing actually, like uh, quite a few people go to me, just as an offhand comment, they're not really thinking about what they're saying. They go, oh, you know, young people, they just have their own lives and they don't care about their elders. But I I find this younger generation, so my kids are both in their 20s now, and um, I find them incredibly aware and, uh, and, and, and love their grandparents and yeah. n- miss the grandparents that have gone and spend a lot of time thinking and caring about and their their grandparents who are still here and mm. and you might be aware of that um, website so i find, I find them really really great you know that there, there's a, a podcast or something called shameless do you know that one no, don't. It's no. Melbourne. Two young Melbourne women started this amazing podcast. They've, um, they've, or yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a website or something. It's a you know, like something online. <laughs> don't know. Yeah, yeah, some platform. <laughs> something, <Yeah>. some platform. <laughs> and it's called Shameless. And there were two young women who would watch all this stuff be spouted on Instagram and facebook and realized that there was and often it was dangerous about women's body image and their health Mm. and they thought no one's actually pulling up any of these for these young providing a better model for young people on on these um online platforms um probably facebook and things so anyway it's it's a website that my youngest daughter charlie listens to a lot and she said um you know, they're really great and they really uh, talk to the young, people, young women really well. You know, they've just got great issues. They discuss it. Anyway, on their, on their Facebook, she put my book and said, you know, so proud my mum's written this book um uh about helping grandparents she she got 500 comments and all these young people saying oh my mum would love that book because she's trying to look after grandma and it's so hard for her and 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 this would be so good i'm gonna get this book because i love my grandparents and they really are having a hard time and they're struggling and all these very uh aware astute articulate um you know, empathetic oh, yeah. comments from wow. young people in their twenties about about their grandparents or about Isn't their parents' that fantastic. After. So I it's I think it's fantastic too. I think it's really good. So actually, you know I think it is too although I say I wrote this book for people my age looking after my parents, I actually wrote it for my kids so they know how to look after me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there's always, always a sneaky there's always thing. an ulterior motive. <laughs> <load in. laughs> always. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, this is it's a really um it's a really necessary conversation, and so is menopause. Like, I'm so glad you uh, you know, I'm, I'm so glad you've been a, a comedian, sort of celebrity, because most comedians uh, just say the things that other people don't say. Do you know? And, yeah. And yeah. I think that's really helped you to um put out these two. To conversations that really need to be heard speaking of conversations and all of that you're going to be joining us for our uh, girls with hammers on the couch um session on the 1st of october i can't wait <laughs> Which an online event we can't wait either we're absolutely busting to bring you to our audience again and you know that's going to be fantastic so we can touch on you know talk about these issues and um you know, answer some questions and that'll be really, really lovely and really, really. Oh, yeah, I'd love to.
1: Yeah, I'm really, I love answering questions because it just gives you an idea of what people's main concerns are. And, Mm. you know, it's really, yeah, yeah. So I'm, and like, you know, and I love, I love what you're doing, Karen. You're just doing an amazing work and you're contributing so much and you're inspiring and i i love oh. the name you know like i love girls with hammers and i love get off the bench because it's like <laughs> yeah yeah pull your finger out like <laughs> turn off the telly stop watching farmer Once a wife go and do something <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, well, then I'm going to ask you the next question about um, getting off the bench. So uh, I always finish with this, but um, so the podcast, of course, is about getting off the bench and pulling your finger out and doing things. But there's um, there's two things here. You know, you've highlighted what I often say, and that is that we only get one shot at life, and we need to make it count. So you know, we've talked about that. But what advice would you give to people who are who are aging year by year? So this is everybody we're talking about. Yeah, and everybody. And who, yeah, and who have that thing sitting in their mind that one day I'll get around to it, you know, one day? What, what, what advice would you give them?
1: Well, it's amazing how 20 years can go by and you're still planning it. So you might be mm. a young thing in your 50s and thinking, oh, as soon as this happens, then I'll yeah. do that. As soon as I retire or, you know, as soon as something... Often those sort of dreams have this... Mm. You know like this coda they have i have to wait till this is done before that yeah. and i would say now just don't don't do it just do just take that first step just start whatever it is just take that first step in doing what you want to do because mm. i you know when someone i'm lucky because i've i have really always just done you know mostly mostly in my work, someone once said, "Oh, what do you do for pleasure?" And I thought, "Oh my God, what do I do for pleasure? Oh my God, I don't <laughs> sail, I don't cook, I don't. Oh, I don't mountain climb. I hardly go on holidays. What do I do for pleasure?" And, and I went home and I sweated about it, and then I realised that actually I really love my work. And yeah. So, but I, you know, I always wanted to sculpt, and I was always going to sculpt. I love sculpture. it, makes, it breaks my heart. It moves me like no other art form. I just adore it and I never have and I've been waiting to do that for about 40 years so mm-hmm. you know I would say the first step is always take that first step just try it because yeah. a lot of the time we're just afraid to yeah. that if we have this dream and we, we try it and it, it doesn't turn out to be what we wanted and it mm. doesn't turn out to give us what we wanted then then we're going to then we feel like failures or we'll feel that then what else are we going to dream about but mm. um i would but have courage because you know you're meant to you're meant to take that step you're meant to try it you and and you know you just you have to kick doors in sometimes you can't wait for a, you know, an opportunity. You have to make the opportunities all mm, the yeah. time, or just get on the website, or whatever it is. You know. Mm,
0: I agree. I, I I think that you don't. You you're exactly right. Things don't just land in your lap. Like you have to do something. And.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because you right. just yeah. You do. You do. You have to. And you don't want to get to a point in your life where you just can't do it anymore. No. No, you know, like you go. Oh, I didn't realize that uh, time's run out.
0: Mm. I always say to people, you know, you, you, let's say we've only got eighty years. I mean, your parents are doing incredibly well 90, 98 and ninety three with yeah. ninety five no. and ninety three, yeah. was it? Yeah, yeah, they're doing incredibly well, you know. But uh, look, the average, they say, the average person lives till eighty. I don't know who they are, but anyway, um, eighty four, I think, for women. Eighty four. Eighty four. Well if you if you wrote those um numbers down on a bit of paper and crossed off what you've already done, it really it sort of hits you quite hard realizing the <laughs> shirt. Stop it, Karen. Stop I can't pull it. my finger out. <laughs> Stop it.
1: You better get onto your sculpting. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make myself a big can in the backyard. Yeah. And I can put my ashes in it. By oh, the time I finish. Yeah, I know. Time is fleeting but at the same time we don't want to be afraid of that either you know no no
0: but that's what I'm saying just get up and do it now like yeah. because it's you know time will run out and it's like well, you, you look back and think well what, why didn't I do that why did I
1: you know what was, yeah. I should have done that 20 years ago that's right and some people have really altruistic things they want to you know yeah they want to do something for the community and they're waiting till they have a bit more time just do it now yeah because the rewards too on doing something like that will be mm. will be huge in your life and may become you know the center point of your life You know? yeah so definitely yeah, definitely whatever motivates you whether it's fear crossing <laughs> off the years <laughs> or just sort of saying um you know like yet no one can give you time you can only take the time yourself yeah yep true good advice
0: all right so where can
1: uh where can people find you um my address when they come to sydney to visit is (laughs) uh 36 um, (laughs) um they can find me that's probably the easiest place to find me because i've got instagram but i'm getting better at that and facebook i answered someone on linkedin the other day and they said i sent that message two years ago i went oh okay sorry about that (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) facebook i'm i'm trying to get better at instagram facebook i'm not on twitter i'm not a tweeter i don't like twitter i don't like Um, but in, but I'm getting good at Instagram, aren't I? You probably. You are. Yeah. You you've answered me. And I haven't answered you, but I will. Yes, you have. Yeah, you
0: answered. I I remember having the first conversation with you about Instagram. You said somebody told me how to do Instagram, and I'm not very good at it. And then <laughs> then about two days later, you posted something. And I thought, yes, she's going. And then nothing nothing for six months. <laughs> I know.
1: I know. But now I'm I'm trying to. I'm. You just, are now. Well, I'm. Tra- yeah. Well, because otherwise well, you know, I'm doing a few virtual gigs and things, yeah. but uh, but my work has just turned off like a tap. I thought yeah. I had a few strings to my bow and I realised I didn't have any. I only had oh. one string and that was events and conferences and things. That was the only um, way that I was earning a living. So, mm. um, so now I've got more time to just sort of connect with people and, and, um, And and an opportunity like this is fantastic, Karen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about my my books. And, you know, that's really, I'm just really, um, I feel really privileged to be on your show. Thank you.
0: Oh, well, my absolute pleasure. I feel privileged to have you. I feel privileged to have you as a
1: friend, actually, Jean. You're just absolutely beautiful. Well, we just got on like a house on fire didn't we? After we the, did. during the conference, it was like yep. we were one big family, everyone, yeah. you know, like everyone's <laughs> hugging and kissing, things we can't do anymore. And it was like just so natural, you know. Yeah. And and when you when you um, you know, have experiences like that, they mean a lot. They mean a lot. Yeah. So although we've only met once in person, ma'am yep. your family. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> your family too. Thank yeah. you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you did forget to mention that people can find you on Jeankitson.com. You know, we,
1: we missed that one. Oh, my website's terrible apparently. Someone went on it and said, oh, jean, this is terrible. And so I haven't dared look. And I didn't even know whether <laughs> I'd actually paid the rent on it or whatever you did because <laughs> something came out of my um credit card last year something called Squarespace and I'm asking the family all right who's put Squarespace on my credit card <laughs> and then I ended up ringing the fraud squad because everyone's going we haven't put anything on <laughs> and then it turned out to be the people that supplied my w- website <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought, oh, well, that's the end of that. I probably... <laughs> They're just going to wipe that off. But
0: yeah. Uh, uh, oh, well, I might, have, I might have to give you some help with
1: your website. Yeah, yeah, please, <laughs> please. As soon as the uh, lockdown's over, come up and give me some help.
0: Yeah, I think I will. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. Well, well, I'm going to leave it there and leave you, leave you to get back to your afternoon. But thank you so, so, so much for joining us. And, and I'm I'm am so feel so humbled that you've you know that you're giving us your time and I'm so grateful to you for writing books that you know that really really take the taboo off subjects that need to be talked about. And you're just a beautiful
1: beautiful person. Oh, thanks, Karen. Thank you wow. so much. Thank you. I really really appreciate, you've made my year. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, I do help. I do hope you know when I complain about my social media my my husband always reminds me you're just helping people one person at a time <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you know when exactly I go to a right. gig or I meet someone in the street and you know like yeah and he said there you go one person at a time I go, yeah yeah I'm very grateful for that and that, yeah. you know that I and and I'm really grateful for that comedy has given me a vehicle where you can talk about things and break the ice and people mm. and it's much less confronting and And people can, you know, yeah, share 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 their thoughts in a way that is fun and not Mm. too um not too you know scary.
0: Yeah, I think that's it too. It's having a just putting a little spin of humor on serious topics, you know, can help it to. It's like putting um like carrier oil, isn't it? You know, just (laughs) spreading it out a little bit easier. It's yeah, yeah, I think it's amazing, and and you've got that gift, so we're very fortunate to have you. Very
1: Thanks fortunate. Karen, thank you so much, oh. thank you.
0: My pleasure. Shucks. Oh, You're oh. going to go and be all huggy and squishy this yeah,
1: afternoon. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I have, I've had a big verbal hug.
0: <laughs> I love it, I love it. All right, well I'm going to go and make plans for, um and make some... Uh, poster things and everything for you for the 1st of October and we can't wait to see you again Um, properly see you this time because we're not looking at each other today but um, it's just it's just fantastic so thank uh, you well thank you so much and
1: we'll chat very very soon thanks Karen okay great to chat with you really great you too bye
0: (laughs) oh wow what a beautiful beautiful woman she's gotten off the bench that many times she's just a an absolute superstar for voicing things that really need to be said. And, you know, there are two books, um, You're Still Hot to Me, The Joys of Menopause. And We Need to Talk About Mum and Dad, A Guide to Parenting, Aging Parents. Two really, really important books. And as Jean said, you know, people are just not talking about these things, but they're, they're such important topics. And Thank God for Jean getting off the bench and actually um, writing these two books and, you know, saying things that other people don't want to say. So that's fantastic. Anyway, I'm going to leave it there. Thanks for joining me again. Your support really means the world. And, um, well, I'll catch you next week. See ya. Hey, thanks for joining me. It really does mean the world to me. Now, if you or somebody you know is doing amazing things, make sure you send me an email to info at getoffthebench.com.au. That's info at getoffthebench.com.au. Otherwise, head on over to my website at kerenvaughan.com and tinker around there a bit and send me a message. Okay, catch you next week.